The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Bible, go to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, if you got a Bible, some kind of device that is set to silent, right? Because you don't want to be that guy or that girl or that person. Your phone starts beeping and you can't find it. Everybody's looking at you and you feel like an idiot. So it's on silent. Amen? Matthew chapter 20. Real quick, before I uh, jump into the message today, I do want to address something uh, I've been this last week talking to some different people within our community, within the community of law enforcement, police officers, their spouses, and, uh, and, and really starting to grow to understand in a greater way some of what they're dealing with. And, you know, we, we, some, many of us live in Edmond, live in Deer Creek and different areas, and so we don't necessarily experience this, but there are a lot of police officers in our community and across America who are putting on their uniform and going out to do their job, and they, they're literally afraid that they may not come home. There's a lot of hatred ever since what happened to George Floyd. And, and, and what happened to George Floyd was, was wrong, was terrible. And what the police officer did was murder. It was not right. But we also have to understand we don't throw out everybody because of some bad, right? You know, there, there's bad people in every society and every branch of, there's bad people in, in, in law enforcement. There's some, yes, there's some that are lawyers that are bad, doctors that are bad. Listen, there are bad pastors. There's bad all over the place. But we don't just throw out everybody because of a few bad, right? And there's a lot of good police officers. The majority of police officers are good. And we have some in our church that are good, godly uh, Christian men who stand, men and women who stand for Christian and godly values. And so I think it's important, we as a church, that we may not necessarily be feeling it in our community that we're lifting them up in prayer. Yeah the law enforcement police officers across our country. And so, so here's what I would encourage you to do. One, I would encourage you to go out of your way to, if you see a police officer, to go up to him and thank him for what they do. Thank them for standing in the gap for you and enforcing laws that need to be enforced and keeping you protected because that's, that's really important. We need that. And, uh, and just so you know, as a church, we've been reaching out to police officers. We've been doing things behind the scene to love them, to bless them, because that's, that's what we do. But I encourage you to do some of that yourself. And then I would encourage you to be praying over them. And here's what we're praying. I got three Ps for you if you want to write these down to add to your, your prayer list. The first one is peace. We're praying peace over the situation, that God would bring peace to it, that some of this violence and anger that's directed in the wrong way, totally wrong, that it would, it, it would, it would die down and that there would be peace. And beyond just peace to the situation, peace like the Bible talks about that passes understanding. Peace for the spouses that are sending their husbands and wives off to, to enforce law. Peace for them. Peace for their children. Peace in that situation. Number two is protection. Obviously, we want them safe. That no evil would befall them and come near them. That they would be watched over and safe. That they would, they would have the, the mind of Christ and wisdom to see if there's some kind of danger being, being uh, raised against them. We want to pray for protection. And the last thing, and this is really important, is promotion. Yes, there are some bad police officers, but there are a lot of good police officers. Like I said, there's some good, godly, Christian police officers. And what I'm praying is that the godly ones will be promoted so they can stand up when, when stuff like what's going on with George Floyd takes place. There's somebody with a heart for God that would go, hey, stop. This is wrong. And stand up for what's right. Can I get an amen? Yeah. 
So if you would, church, I want to invite you to be a part of that. Let's be praying for law enforcement. Some of these ideas that are coming out about defunding the police, that is crazy, crazy. We don't want none of that. So let's pray for them. Amen? You in agreement? Say amen. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 20. We're in a series right now called Red Letters, and we're talking about the words of Jesus. When we talk about red letters, those are the words that Jesus spoke in Scripture. And what we're doing is we're looking at these, these words of Jesus so that we can discover and learn more about the heart of God, the heart of God for his people. Because Jesus said, I came to do the will of the Father. He said, I only do what I see my Father do. So if, what we see in Jesus is the heart of God. And the more we know Jesus, the better we understand God. And the more we understand what he's all about, the more we understand what we should be all about. And so that's what we're looking at, these red letters. And today I want to talk to you about what greatness looks like. I want to talk to you about what Jesus said about what greatness looks like in the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20, we have this really interesting interaction between Jesus, his disciples, and the mommy of some of his disciples. Look at this with me. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it? You want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. Okay, so this is an interesting story. And it's actually, to me, it's like super funny. There's a lot of comedy in the Bible. And this is one of those great kind of underlined comedy stories in the Bible. You've got these two sons. They're called the sons of Zebedee, John and James. They're also called in another place the sons of thunder. Sons of thunder. And they want something from God. They see that this is, this is Jesus. This is God. He's the Messiah. He's going to establish a kingdom. And they want to be great in this kingdom. And so you, you ever wanted something and like you don't really want to ask yourself, you know? Like maybe you remember, I remember this in junior high. There's that girl and I liked her and I want to ask her out, but I cannot talk to a girl, you know? I'm afraid. So I talk to my buddy and he goes to talk to her for me. And so I'm like standing on one end of the playground, like kind of watching. And he's over there talking. And you're kind of waiting. He's over there, you know, having a conversation, looking at you. And you're waiting for like, or, you know. And he gives you the thumb up. It's like, yes. And that's it. You never talk to her again. But it's your boyfriend, girlfriend, junior high, right? This is kind of what's going down. They want this position of authority. So the sons of thunder, here's what they do. <laughs> they ask their mommy to go ask for them. So mom comes up to Jesus and says, hey, can you give my sons these positions of authority? One at your right hand, one at your left. I'll leave it up to you, Jesus, which one you won't wear, but can we have this? And what's interesting is what Jesus does, because he, he answers, but he doesn't answer her. It, it, he actually answers them. Okay, look at, look at this verse uh, 22, he says, it says, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. So get this, apparently they're there. So like mom's asking and they're like behind mom, like, what do you think, Jesus? Yeah, 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 you know? And Jesus looks beyond mom at them and says, you, you don't know what you're asking. And here's what, what he's saying. Listen, you want greatness, but you don't really know what it's gonna cost you. And the thing about greatness is this, we all want greatness, but we, we don't always want the sacrifices necessary to have it, because greatness is going to cost you something. And that's what Jesus is saying. He, he says in verse 22, he says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? 
You want greatness, I, I don't know if you know how much this is gonna cost you. you. You think you can actually do what it is you're gonna be asked to do in order to attain this kind of greatness. And they say, yeah, we can, we can do it. We believe we can. And so then Jesus begins to unpack this idea of what greatness really looks like. And he starts off by kind of saying, okay, this is what you think it looks like, and you got it all wrong. Look at this, verse 25 says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 26, not so with you. So he says, hey, okay, so here's the problem. You guys want greatness, but your model's wrong. Your model's a little bit off. What, what you've seen is you've seen people operating in these positions of like bossing everybody around and acting like they're high and mighty and better than everybody else. That, that's not how it should be with you. But, but I want you to recognize something here. Jesus is not telling them not to pursue greatness. He's just telling them at this point, the model is off. Now look at this, verse 26, he says, instead. Everybody say, instead. So now what he's saying is, that model's wrong, this is the model you should follow. So this is, you, you want greatness, that, don't do that, do, do this. Look at this, whoever wants to become great, everybody say great. great. Say it like this is the last first service that I'm ever preaching here at New Song Church. Say great. great. Whoever wants to be great, there you go, I need more of that. Whoever wants to be great among you must, everybody say must. must. Now we're talking. Must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must, everybody say must. must, must be your slave. Just as the son of man. So now Jesus is talking about himself and he's saying, this model I'm telling you about, I'm doing it. Maybe you don't recognize that, but I'm, I'm showing you how to do this is what he's getting ready to say here. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, Jesus didn't come here to boss everybody around, to rule over people. He came here to serve and, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, we, we all know, if you know anything about Jesus, if you know anything about the church world, you know that a high value in the kingdom of God is the value of serving. But what we often miss sometimes, like in this verse, and it actually causes a lot of confusion, and even causes us to miss what God's really wanting to do, is we, we miss what Jesus is actually calling us to. Okay, so, so understand this. He says, if you wanna be great, you need to be a servant. Okay, so imagine that I come up to you and I say, hey, do you want some ice cream? If you do, let's go to Brahms. So what, what am I inviting you to? I'm inviting you to ice cream. So I'm inviting you to Brahms because it's through Brahms that you can get the ice cream. So listen, Jesus is inviting you to serve, but really what he's doing is he's inviting you to greatness. Jesus is inviting you to greatness, and the pathway to greatness is through serving. But listen, Jesus doesn't, doesn't say that, that's, that, that greatness is wrong. He's not telling you that desiring to be great is wrong. He's just telling you the pathway to it is a little bit different than maybe what you expected. It's through serving. Now, I've noticed, and maybe you have too, a lot of, a lot of people, when you start talking about greatness, they start going, oh, I don't know about that. And a lot of the reason why is because they, they interpret this scripture the wrong way. Like they think that Jesus, they think that this is what Jesus said. Jesus is saying, okay, you want to be great? Well, that's wrong. And so to teach you a lesson, I'm going to have you do this. I'm going to have you serve. Because you got it all wrong. 
It's not about being great. It's about, and since you're thinking that way, you, you think you want to be great. Okay, here's a lesson. Learn how to serve. That's, that's what this is really all about. But that, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus does not rebuke the aspiration for greatness. Nowhere in here does Jesus say, you want to be great? That's wrong. He doesn't say that. He just redirects the path to arriving at greatness. And we, but we tend to think that it's wrong to desire to be great because because we wouldn't necessarily take the path that's laid out by Jesus to arrive there. We wouldn't think that the pathway to arriving at greatness would be the pathway of serving, but that's what Jesus invites us to. Okay, so if you get nothing else out of this message today, really, really hear this. If you're taking notes, jot this down. God is not trying to move you from greatness to servanthood. He's trying to move you to greatness through servanthood. Let me say it again. God's not trying to move you from greatness to servanthood. He's trying to move you to greatness through servanthood. Jesus isn't saying don't desire to be great. Listen, you should want to be great. Because if you don't want to be great, guess what? You're going to be apathetic. You know what? There's a word in there, pathetic. (laughs) And that's what your life is going to look like. If you're apathetic, your life is gonna be void of impact. It's gonna be void of purpose. You think that's what Jesus wants you to do? You think that's why he left you here and empowered you with the Holy Spirit so you can live a purposeless life that's not impacting anybody? Of course God wants you to make a difference. And so, so here's the thing though. Through servanthood, you arrive at greatness, but you arrive in it in a pure way. Because through service, you arrive at greatness, but you recognize it's not what I did. I followed God's path of humbling myself and he promoted me and did all this for me and so to God be the glory. I'm not talking about selfish ambition. I'm talking about being great for the kingdom of God. I want you to know God wants you to be great. He wants you to be a great father. At the end of your life, I I, I hope that at your funeral people will say, man, he was a great father. She was a great mother. They were a great friend. They were great. They loved God. And God, the love of God shined through their life and it was great. That's what God wants for you. And and here's the beautiful thing about the way God gets us to greatness is he gets us there through serving. And, And here's what's so beautiful about that. Because we get there through serving, anybody can get there. I love what Dr. Martin Luther King said about, about this. He said, everyone can be great because anybody can serve. Jesus doesn't say, if you want to be great, you got to be the smartest person in the room. Jesus doesn't say, if you, want, if you want to be great, you got to be really tall and really good looking, like Pastor Josh. He didn't say that. You don't have to be like me. It's all right. He didn't say you have to have it all figured out. He said, you just got to have a heart to serve. So the good news for, for you and for me is something we say here at New Song Church all the time. Anybody can be great because anybody can serve. And in serving, listen, we think that sometimes by serving, we're, we're, we're becoming weak, we're becoming less than, but really we're becoming very powerful because it's through serving that we can be empowered by God. And it's what Jesus did. Look back at verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think we all recognize that Jesus is the greatest man who ever lived. The impact that he made on this world It's not even like arguably he's the greatest. He's the greatest man who ever lived. His arrival split time into AD and BC. Like that's impactful. His life still impacts us today. 
Jesus lived the most impactful life ever, and Jesus was the greatest servant ever. See, Jesus was the greatest man ever because Jesus, listen, was the greatest servant who ever walked this earth. And through his life, we see what servanthood submitted to God can accomplish and how great it can be. And we also see the heart of God. We see because Jesus came to model the heart of God that God is a servant. Now, I say that, and I get it. Like, there's a little bit of us that go, Ugh, I don't know about that. Like, you, you kind of feel that resistance. Even this week as I was putting together this message and I was writing God as a servant, there was a part of me that was like, is that right? God is a servant? Because we kind of think, well, I'm, I'm just a person, and who am I to say, you know, God is a, is a servant? Like, how, how can I say that? And part of the reason we think that is because we don't truly understand what it means to be a servant. And so, because we don't value servanthood, we don't aspire to have it in our God. This is good preaching. See, we, we, we aspire and value things in our God that we value in our life. Like we have, if I say to you this morning, God is all powerful, most of you aren't gonna have a problem with that. Why? Because we, we value power. We recognize that power is important. And so we like the idea of having, serving a God. We, since we value that virtue, we, we have no problem seeing that in our God. That's, that's cool. Uh, we, we know God is all-knowing. We like that idea for God too because we recognize knowledge is powerful, right? We go to school and get higher education because the more knowledge we can have, the more power we can have, the more, the more we recognize that's a valuable virtue to have. And so we have no problem seeing that in our God. We, we have no problem recognizing that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present because that speaks to the idea of control, you know? I've heard a mom say before, probably, I wish I had eyes in the back of my head. What is she saying? She's saying, I wish I could see everything going on. Why? Because if I could see everything, I could have a little bit more control. And so we see that as something valuable. So we, we, we're good with God. It's all powerful, all knowing, all, all everywhere. That's cool. But God is a servant? I don't know about that. But the reason we feel that way is because we don't see servanthood for what it truly is. It's a powerful thing that, the, that, that Jesus modeled for us that we can step into. And listen, listen. You'll never look more like God than when you're serving. You look the most like your Savior Jesus when you're offering your life in the service of sacrifice to other people. You look the most like Jesus then. And, and, and so I want you to see today, when God is inviting you to service, he's not inviting you to something weak. He's actually inviting you to something very powerful. Because when you choose to serve, you're choosing to follow the path of greatness that Jesus modeled for us, and that's the path that God empowers so when you become a servant, you receive the power of God to fulfill the assignments of your life. And you become what, what the Bible talks about when it talks about you're strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You become weak in yourself and humble yourself, then God can strengthen you and you actually become more powerful in that moment than you could ever be on your own. You look the most like God, you look the most like Jesus when you're being a servant. And, and we're called Christians, right? Which means we're called to be christ like. So you should aspire to be a servant. We should have a great value in our church culture that says we want to serve others. We want to be like Jesus. We want to aspire to greatness, not for selfish ambition, but so God can be shown great through our life and, and through the way we live our life. We should, we should desire that. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time this morning is I want to look at these four, these four 
truths that we see in the life of Jesus related to servanthood that I think will, will minister to you. Because listen, I, I believe God is calling us to greatness, church. He's got great things in front of us, but in order for us to, to step into those things, we have to have the right heart. We have to follow the path that leads us to the greatness God has for us. So here's, here's three truths related to greatness that we see in the life of Jesus. Number one is Jesus served big needs. Jesus served big needs. You with me for service? Jesus served big needs. You know, Jesus, you think about his life. Every day, every day, people are launching huge problems at him. People are coming to him, they're sick. And I mean sick, like like lame and blind and deaf and leprosy and demon-possessed. Big problems. Dead people. You know, being dead's a problem. (laughs) This is Jesus. This is what he's dealing with. And we see in the life of Jesus that every time he has an encounter with a big problem, a big need, he ministers to it. And he, he brings life to it and healing to it and restoration to it. But beyond just what we see in the pages of Scripture in the lives of the people, we also understand that Jesus came to fix the biggest problem that we all face. Jesus can fix your biggest need today, which is salvation and forgiveness of sin. The Bible says we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. That's a big problem. Death and hell, that's a problem. And so Jesus looked at that and said, I'm gonna deal with that. And so I'm gonna come to this world and I'm gonna serve people. I'm gonna step into that mess and I'm gonna serve people to the point of dying on a cross so that I can be resurrected so people can be resurrected into new life through the life that I offer for them. Jesus came to fix the big problems. Can I get an amen? I'm so grateful that Jesus didn't look at that big problem and say, man, that's a little too big. I'm glad he wasn't apathetic to our problems. But let's be real, I think we can be guilty of that. We can be guilty of looking at some of the problems in our world and saying, what can I do? I can't really do anything about that. I can't really do anything with some of this injustice that's going on. I can't really do anything with with this problem or what people are facing. I can't even relate to it. I have no idea. Who am I? What am I? And so we become apathetic to it and we miss out on what God wants us to do. I want you to know as a church, we're looking at the problems. We're staring them in the face. We're looking at some of the problems in our city, in our community, problems like abortion and what leads to that in the lives of women so that we can help them and give them another way. We're looking at some of these problems because we want to make a difference. We're not saying we're not going to be apathetic to the big problems in our world. We won't do that. We're going to say, how, how do we tackle them? And as, as people, as followers of Christ who are trying to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, we have to be willing to look at the big problems and say, what can I do? We can't fix everything, but what can we do? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. What can I do to fix the big problems? Jesus served big problems. He served big needs, and we need to do the same thing. Here's number two. Jesus served small needs. Jesus served small needs. You look at the life of Jesus, and you, you see that Jesus lived a life on mission. You read these statements in Scripture where he says, my time has not yet come. And what that tells me, when it speaks to the time has not yet come, he's speaking to his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And so, listen, the whole time Jesus was doing ministry, he was walking towards the cross. That was the big need he came to serve and to fix. But in the midst of that, he served a lot of other needs on the way. And some of those needs were small. Think about the first miracle that Jesus ever did. He turned water into wine. Now, that was a big miracle, right? Pretty impressive, but it wasn't a big need. 
No one was gonna die because there was no wine. There weren't a bunch of people there that were just so thirsty that they were gonna lose it. Like that's not what was going on. Jesus was just purely being cool. (laughs) Keeping the party going. Saving the people that were hosting the party a little embarrassment. It wasn't a huge need, but he served the need. There's a story in John 21 where the disciples have been out fishing and Jesus is on the shore and, and he builds a little fire and he cooks some fish. And when they come in, he, he serves them breakfast. And it doesn't say nowhere in the story like they were starving to death. No, they'd just been out fishing and they were probably a little hungry. And it was a small need, but Jesus served that small need. Why? Because he loves people. There's, there's a story one time where, where the disciples are keeping children from coming to Jesus. And he says, let, let the little children come to me. And I, I hope you recognize what a huge statement that is. Let them come to me. Here's what that tells me. They wanted to come to him. I don't know if you know anything about kids, but they don't just want to go to anybody. They want to go to people that they recognize as being someone they want to go to. So there's something about the life of Jesus, and we don't know, it doesn't say, but there's something about his life that was attractive to these kids. I imagine that Jesus was probably really nice to these little kids, probably got down on his knee. I imagine Jesus was the buck and bronco sometimes. He was a carpenter. He probably made some pretty cool toys for him. It doesn't say, but there's something he's doing that the kids want to come to him, and we don't, it doesn't necessarily say these kids are dying. We just know they want to come to him. And, G, and, and the disciples are like, no, no, don't do that. He's got bigger fish to fry, which happens later, but it's not. But he's got other stuff going on. And Jesus says, no, no, let them come to me. This is what the kingdom looks like. What does it look like? It looks like we're serving people. That may seem unimportant, but I'm going to serve the small needs. That's what Jesus did. That's who he was. And, and, and why? Because if it matters to you, it matters to God. Even if it's small. You know, you probably heard me say that at the end of services a lot of times. I'll invite the altar ministry team down and, and I'll say, hey, we want to pray for you. And if you're dealing with anything, no matter how big or small it may be, if it matters to you, it matters to God. That, that statement came from one time I was doing children's ministry with some elementary age kids and I was teaching them about fear. And I was talking about how you have to shut the door on, on fear, that, that fear wants to rear its ugly head and scare you. And you have to shut the door on it. And one of the ways you shut the door on it is you have to confess it. Because the Bible talks about when you confess, you can receive healing, confessing to someone else. And so I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to open up the altars. And just so you know, what we do in here is what we do in our kids' classes, too. We invite them to come down for prayer because prayer is important, right? So we were doing that in church. I was saying, hey, you kids, come on down. And, and we want you to come down and confess what it is that you're afraid of. And so I invited all the kids down. Our altar ministry team was down there. And then I, I came down. And I, I got down on my knee. And I remember this little boy came up. And he had on little boots. And, and little, little, little jeans and walked up with this little button-up shirt, looked like a little, little cowboy kid. And he walked up to me, put my little hand on his shoulder. I said, all right, buddy, what are you dealing with? And he looks at me square in the eye and he goes, I said, what are you afraid of? He goes, chickens. <laughs> and I did like you. Initially inside of me, I felt like laughing. But I'm telling you, something, the Holy Spirit arrested me in that moment. And yet, you know, you have those moments sometimes where God will speak to you, and in a second, he impacts something really big. It's going to take me longer to explain what he said in a second than it took me to understand it. But what God showed me in that moment is, hey, 
this kid's fear of chickens is as great as someone walking up to you in the main auditorium and saying, I just found out I have cancer and I'm going to die in six months. And what if I looked at them in that moment and went, (laughs) what if God treated you like that? Because guess what? When you come to God and say, the doctor said I could die in six months, you know how big that is to God? It's as big as you coming to God and saying, God, I'm afraid of chickens. He's all powerful. So all powerful means that the difference between chickens and cancer is nothing to him. He's all powerful. But God, when you go to God with your fear, he never, you never get a sense from him of like, you're so dumb. Don't you recognize what I can do? Why? Because if it matters to you, it matters to God. And that's where that was born from. So I laid my hands on that kid and I prayed a prayer of power over the fear of chickens. I'm, I never heard the end of it, but I'm guessing the chicken fear went away. But my point is this. If it matters to anybody, it matters to God. And if it matters to God, it's got to matter to us. And we got to be willing to say, I'll, I'll serve there. I'll get there. I'll get in the middle of that. It may seem small to me, but I'll, I'll make it big to me. Because it's big to them. And if it matters to, to them, it matters to God. And it's got to matter to me. Amen? Here's number three. Jesus served ugly needs. Jesus served ugly needs. In John 13, we read about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And we read that, and, and even in today's culture, we go, yeah, ugh, not cool. Like, you know, feet. We don't want to mess with feet unless you're weird. <laughs> One of those people. Feet aren't cool. I don't even like washing my own feet. They're gross, knobby. Like, and, that, and that's today. Like, I got good shoes. I got good feet. But think about Bible times. It was a different world. They wore sandals. They walked on roads that were nasty, dirty. The same roads that they walked on that were dirt roads are also the same roads that their animals went on, that they urinated on, that manure got onto, that got ground into those roads, that got on their feet. And so, so at the end of the, uh, of the day, when they would come home, there was typically a, a basin that they could wash their feet. At. And typically, you did it yourself. If you're really wealthy and you had a lot of servants, you would have a servant that would wash people's feet. And it was typically the lowest servant that you had that would do this. And so get this. Jesus, the Son of God who is God, who spoke this world into creation, takes off his cloak, the Bible tells us, wraps it around his waist, and one by one, like this didn't, this wasn't over in two minutes. One by one, he goes to each disciple, washes their feet, digs his fingers in between their toes to remove whatever is there, pats their feet dry with his own cloak, dumps out the basin, refills it, comes back, 12 disciples, including one who would betray him to death. Wow, right? There's another story in Luke chapter eight where Jesus lands this boat on this beach, and where he arrives is where this crazy dude lives. This guy's called by this community the demoniac, (laughs) which is not good. (laughs) And this guy is bad news. Like, they'll chain him up, and he'll break the chains, and he cuts himself, and I imagine he smells bad, and he's he's the town crazy. Like, he's the guy you're going to avoid. Most people avoid. But Jesus lands his boat right there 
He knows he's there. But he goes right there. And what I want you to see is like Jesus lived a life where he wasn't afraid to get into the dirty stuff. The nasty stuff. He wasn't afraid to tackle the tasks that not everybody else saw as important or vital. He wasn't afraid to go to the person that everybody else would say, I want nothing to do with them and serve them. And if that's Jesus, that's got to be us. Our heart has to, we have to have a heart like Christ that says, Lord, I'll do the stuff that maybe not everybody else will do. I'll go to the person that maybe not everybody else wants to mess with. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it. I'll serve the ugly needs. And here's the fourth thing that we see in the life of Jesus is that Jesus served servers. Jesus served servers. And this, this is where we talk about the power and authority that comes through serving. Look at this, Luke chapter nine, if you wanna turn there. We have Jesus feeding the 5,000. If you know this story, he's been preaching all day, ministering, healing people. And the Bible says that, that, that when the day began to wear away, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, getting late and we need to probably cut these people loose. Look at this, verse 12. Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countrysides and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. So they're saying, Jesus, these people need stuff. There's problems that need to be dealt with. We, we need to send them away. We need to send them somewhere else so that this can be fixed. What does Jesus say? He replied, you give them something to eat. Now realize there's 5,000 men, probably at least 10,000 people there. Jesus looks at his guys when they come say, hey, there's a, there's a lot of problems here. We gotta do something. He looks at them and he says, all right, what you got? What you got? And they actually look around and they say, well, we don't have anything. And Jesus says, well, go and see. You know, I think sometimes that's us. We look at the problems of the world and we say, Jesus, there's some big problems going on. Somebody's got to do something. Somebody needs to deal with this. And Jesus looks at you and guess what he says? What you got? And we say, well, I, I don't really have anything. And Jesus looks back at you and he says, look again. Look again. What do you got? You got air in your lungs? Blood in your body? Can you stand up on two feet? You have the ability to smile? Can you? Can you do that in the service of Jesus Christ? So the disciples, they go and they, they find something. They find some bread and some fish and they bring it to Jesus. And I imagine that they're probably thinking, yeah, this is all we find, you know, and this will, this will let him turn it loose. So they bring it to Jesus. They bring what they have to Jesus. And he takes it and he receives it and he blesses it and he multiplies it he multiplies it and he gives it back to them so that they have some for themselves and so they can share some with the world around them. And there's so much at the end of the story that they have more left over than what they started with. There was plenty for them and for everybody else. And listen, this is the king, a picture of the kingdom of God. When we go to God and we say, okay, God, here's what I got. This is all I got, uh, but I'll, I'll give you this. I got a little time. I got a little talent, I got a little treasure, and I'll give it to you. God receives it as an act of worship, and he blesses it, and he multiplies it, and he gives it back to you in such a way that not only is it there for you, but from your overflow, 
you can share with others. So the question this morning is, what you got? What you got? What's God put in your hands that you can surrender to his hands to be blessed, multiplied, and build the kingdom of God through? You know, I've been a Christian for most of my life. I don't even remember getting saved as a little kid. That's how early it was in my life. All I've ever known is church. I'm 40 years old, and I I can honestly say for 40 years of my life, I've been in church. 20 years of my life, I've been in ministry. And one of the things I've seen over and over again is this thing about God. See, God is a master of disguise. And what he likes to do is he likes to take the things that can impact your life in incredible ways and wrap them up in small little things that seem insignificant to a lot of people. But when we we choose to say, okay, God, I'll, I'll go there, he can take that and he can multiply it and do something through it that changes every aspect of our life. I want you to know, like, I'm here today because I've been willing in my life at times to say, God, I'll do that. I'll go serve those kids. I'll I'll lead that band in that junior high classroom that no one sees me in there doing it. I'll be a camp counselor. And in those moments, God's taught me lessons and brought promotion to me. There's been times God's asked me to obey. I, I, I remember... I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I was at a conference one time and I had on these really nice shoes I was wearing and this guy came up to me and said, I really like your shoes. And right then the Holy Spirit said, give him your shoes. And inside I'm going, no, I don't want to give him my shoes. (laughs) But I knew if God tells me to do something, I got to do it. And so I took these shoes off, I unlaced them. I was like, well, I said, first of all, I said, what's your size? (laughs) And then I used my size. And so I took them off. And I gave him to him. And I literally walked out of this conference with no shoes on, which was weird. But I remember doing it and God saying, just watch what I do. And I'm just letting you know, you ask people around you, there is a blessing on my life for shoes. It's nuts. The kind of shoes God puts into my hand. I had a situation this week where I got two pairs of amazing shoes for almost nothing. God's really good. But I'm just willing to obey. I'm just willing to obey. And, and I want you to recognize today, God is inviting you to serve, yes, but he's inviting you to greatness. And it's time. And we're getting ready to move into this new building. And in this new building, we got some new needs. We're opening new kids' classrooms. Our parking lot is bigger and, and more laid out. We're gonna need golf carts to move people around. And we've, our, our, our lobbies are huge. Like you guys are gonna be blown away by this. We need more people to help us serve the needs. God's given us this incredible resource of this building, but we're the church. And we've gotta be the ones that make this building come alive with the presence of God. And one of the ways we do that is through our serving. And so I'm inviting you to greatness today. I'm inviting some of you who've been on the sidelines to be willing to say, and I know so many of you already are serving, so, but some of you, you, you recognize today, you feel God saying, hey, I need to get, I need to dive in a little bit more. I need to get plugged in. And so I'm gonna invite the ushers right now to come forward. They've got some forms. We're gonna hand these out to you. And they, they outline some different areas of need that we have in the church as we move into this new building. These are different areas of need, yes, but these are 
opportunities for greatness that God has placed before you. And, and as you get these, I want you to, to look at it. I want you to pray over it. And I want you to get plugged in somewhere. I want you to say, you know what? I'll do it. I'll have a heart to serve like Jesus served. I'll look at people and do whatever I can to build the kingdom of God. And I want you to know wherever you choose to go, uh, we're gonna train you. Like we're gonna, because, listen, because these are great assignments, we treat them like that. So we're gonna train you for the greatness that you're stepping into. We're gonna equip you for it. And we're also gonna do it in a healthy way because that's how this church operates. We're not gonna beat you to death. We don't kill the sheep God's given us pursuing the sheep we don't have, okay? So you don't have to be concerned about that. If you come from a church of abuse, that's not this house, okay? That's not this house. So you can trust by, by checking your name on there that it's gonna be good and it's gonna be a blessing to you. But I'm inviting you to greatness this morning. And I would, I would ask that you would be a one that would say, Lord, send me. Lord, send me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, I, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to serve. We thank you for the opportunity that's in front of us to look at, at these different areas and serve people like you served us, Jesus. We're so grateful that you went to the cross and died and made a way so that we could have salvation and life in you. And we're, we're, we, we love you, Lord. And we say that we'll go and we'll do it. And we choose to step into greatness and to follow the path that you established for us so that we could be image bearers of Jesus Christ to the world around us. Lord, we thank you for what we're gonna do. Thank you for all the lives that are gonna be changed. Thank you for our lives being changed through the work you're gonna do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.